following message is brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity and was recorded at Westminster Chapel in Toronto. To learn more about the Ezra Institute's mission to declare the Lordship of Jesus Christ over every area of life, please visit www.ezrainstitute.ca. Well, good morning again, my brothers and sisters. This morning we are continuing our series, which has been entitled More Than Conquerors. And remember that our concern in this series, our aim, is that we don't simply persevere in this time when we are apart and as we're going through this pandemic, but as God's people that we overcome, that we prove to be more than conquerors. And this morning I have chosen a short psalm for us to consider, Psalm 131. And the reason I've chosen this psalm is because it's a psalm that shows us the character of a person who overcomes. Now, it's a short psalm, and it's a simple psalm. Charles Spurgeon, one of the great preachers of the church, once said about this psalm that it is short to read, but it's long to learn. And I confess that when I first read this psalm, I thought, oh yeah, this sounds nice, you know, reading the imagery and the picture of a, of a weaned child resting with its mother. And as I read it, I thought, yeah, I think this is me. You know, I, I think I've, you know, my heart's not lifted too high. I think I'm content in the Lord. But then as I considered these words and was honest with myself, I recognized, you know what, this is not me. I'm still learning this psalm. I, I need to be humbled. I'm learning humility. I need to find my rest in the Lord. I'm still seeking that rest. But it's a psalm that shows us what it looks like as we mature in Christ, as we grow up in Christ. And it's a short psalm, three verses, and it shows us three characteristics of a person who overcomes, of someone who's mature in Christ. First, humility. Secondly, contentment. And third, hope. Now, David learned humility and he learned contentment because the Lord humbled him. And the Lord weaned him. And as the Lord humbled him and as the Lord weaned him, David found that he came to a deeper place of rest and trust in the Lord. And because of that, his hope, his confidence in the Lord grew strong. And as he grew in hope, he turned to Israel, he turned to others, and he called on them to hope in the Lord. And if we're more than conquerors, we are going to be those who not only ourselves are humble and content in the Lord, but we are calling on others to hope in Christ. So first, humility. Look at verse 1 again. David writes, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. David here is describing humility. And humility is the opposite of pride. Pride is like a weed in our hearts, and it is a weed that we always have to be uprooting. It's a weed that can grow anywhere. It's a, re we uh, a weed that can grow everywhere. You, your heart may be like a well-tilled, cultivated palace garden with the richest soil. The weed of pride can grow there. Uh, your heart may be like, like a crack in a sidewalk. A weed, and the weed of pride can grow there. So we all, need to be, we all need to examine our hearts. We all need to be looking for the weed of pride and we need to uproot pride. 
Now, pride has many symptoms, and it's not hard to recognize pride. And often we find it easy to recognize pride in another person. You know, that's easy to spot. But we don't always see it in ourselves. It's not easy to recognize pride in ourselves. But here David shows us, as he describes what humility looks like, he shows us what to look for in terms of pride. So there's three things. Uh, The first thing he says is that his heart is not lifted up. And a proud heart is a heart that is lifted up. Now this may be that we think too highly of ourselves. You know, we have an inflated opinion of ourselves. That is often evidence of pride. That's pride. But sometimes it's a little more subtle than that. It's not that we have too high opinion of ourselves, but we're just preoccupied with ourselves. We think too much about ourselves. And this is often a symptom of pride. And I find that I'm often too preoccupied with myself. I'm thinking about myself too much. I'm a bit concerned when something happens about how that affects me. How is this going to affect me? I'm a bit too concerned about how other people view me, what other people think about me. Well, that's a symptom of pride. It's because of pride that I'm preoccupied with myself. Now, David says here that he's learned humility. My heart is not lifted up. Now, we find humility, we learn humility when we come to recognize and accept who we are in Christ. Yes, humility is is an honest assessment of ourselves. But humility and true humility and the virtue that the Spirit gives of humility, we find in Christ. When we recognize and we accept who we are in Christ, the objects of His grace, the objects of His love and favor. Remember what the Apostle Paul said. Paul had learned humility. And he says this in 1 Corinthians 15.10, By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me is not in vain. Well, that's a picture of humility. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And as we grow in humility, we find that we're no longer preoccupied with ourselves, but we're preoccupied with God. And we are preoccupied with other people. We're concerned for others. And our attention, our focus is on God. Now, secondly, David says, that he has not lifted his eyes too high. And this is another symptom of pride, when we, when we lift our eyes too high. We do this when we, when we look up and we look out and we find that we are comparing ourselves to other people. We see this when we look up and because of our perceived high position, we find we're looking down on other people. And we have a critical spirit towards others. We disdain other people. We need to be careful here as we think about our communication and our consumption of social media. It very often fosters pride in us. You know, we we lift up our eyes and we look down on others. But also this can come in the form of unrestrained ambition. You know, our eyes are lifted up. We're always looking for more. We're always wanting what is the better thing. What is, we always want to be greater. And we're not satisfied with the gifts that God has given us. We're not satisfied with the place where God has put us. Now, there is good and godly ambition. That's true. But prideful ambition is very different. And there we find that rather than doing what is good, we always want to do what is great. And there's a good quote from Charles Spurgeon. 
He says, many, through wishing to be great, have failed to be good. And so pride often manifests itself in unbridled, unrestrained ambition. But notice what David has said here. I've learned humility. My eyes are not raised too high. Now this means that we accept where God has put us. We accept the gifts and the calling that God has given us and and placed on our life. If our eyes aren't lifted too high, it means that our eyes recognize what's right in front of us, what's right around us. That's where God has put us. And as we are thinking about what does it mean to be more than conquerors, well, we are called to be more than conquerors where we are. It doesn't mean that we have to go out and do some great, amazing thing that receives all kinds of praise. That's not necessarily the case. It means recognizing, where has God put me? Where has he called me to serve? Think about Jesus' own ministry. Now, Jesus once described himself as being lowly in heart. Jesus is a model of humility. Now, consider Jesus' own ministry. He didn't go to all of the important people in Jerusalem and try to persuade them to follow him and then through the means of acquiring this political influence and power, preach and usher in the kingdom of God. He didn't go to Rome. He didn't seek to work through the Caesar and try to attain this political influence and and power and popularity and so usher in the kingdom. He had a modest ministry in Galilee. He chose 12. And remember what he says in John 17. These were the 12 that his father had given to him. He accepted those 12. He gave his time and attention to those 12. He prayed for them. He taught them. He modeled for them what the kingdom of God looks like. And there are moments in his ministry. Remember that time when Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, here's a, here's a person who has position, who has power, came to Jesus looking for help. My daughter is sick. She's dying. Now, we can imagine the disciples when they saw this influential and important person coming to Jesus thinking, all right, now we're talking. Now this, we're going to get some momentum here. Now Jesus is starting to have an influence. He's got the attention of powerful people. And so they would have been quite excited and eager for Jesus to go and meet with Jairus and go and heal his daughter. But remember what happened on the way. The woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. She reached out and she grabbed Jesus. And Jesus stopped. And he looked for her. And then he spoke with her. Remember, he called her daughter. This was the nature of Jesus' ministry. He recognized and received those who were right in front of him. And he ministered to them. And that's what it means for us. That's what it looks like to be humble. We accept where God's put us. We accept the people that God has put in his life. I've been convicted of this this week as I think about the attention that I give to my family. And too often I find when my daughter or one of my sons wants my attention, wants to show me something, wants to say something to me, I give them half of my attention. You know, I'm just, I just want to finish this article on the CBC and I'm kind of interested in what they're saying. And um, yes, that's nice. Mm-hmm. I've been convicted of that. And I've been thinking, you know what, my eyes are are too far afield. I'm concerned about things beyond uh, where God has placed me and my concern for my own family. So, in humility, we don't lift our eyes too high. And then finally, he says, 
that I have not occupied myself with things too great and too marvelous. And this is another symptom of pride, that we are, we are occupied with things that are too great and too marvelous for us. Remember, this was the temptation that Satan gave to Adam and Eve. You will be like God and you will know, for you will know good and evil. There is a prideful grasping after knowledge that we need to watch out for. And oftentimes we want to be all-knowing. And there's a temptation for this even in the midst of this pandemic. You know, we want to just consume as much of the, the media and the reporting and the data as we can because we want to seek to understand this. And we want to have a very informed and insightful opinion about the epidemiological and the economic and the social and the political and the cultural and the theological implications and opportunities and significance and meaning of this whole thing. And trying to come to an understanding of that and wrestle with all of that and have an opinion about that and speak about that, it's, it wears you out. It's tiring. And it's possible that coming to a, an understanding of everything that's going on around us right now, maybe that's too great for us. Maybe there are things that God is doing in this and there are things that are happening that we don't understand or are beyond our ability to understand or that we shouldn't. Be preoccupied with seeking to understand. And so David says, I haven't, I haven't occupied myself with things too great, too marvelous. And in humility, we recognize that and we accept that. We recognize our limitations. And we have a certain focus, a certain perspective. Remember what Moses says to the people of God. This is Deuteronomy 29, verse 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of the law. What things have been revealed to us and to our children? Well, it's the word of God. We have that. We have God's word. Let's occupy ourselves with, with the word of God. Let's seek to understand that, to know that, to keep his word. The Apostle Paul in his charge to Timothy, he says this in 2 Timothy 2 verse 8, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. It's a simple exhortation. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. It's a reminder to us that even in the midst of everything that's going on, and I'm not saying that we, we bury our heads in the sand and we're not paying attention and prayerfully discerning what would God have us do and How should we think about these things? Of course we need to do that. We're called to wisdom. We saw that last week. But remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Hold fast to what is certain. Hold fast to the one we know. Again, remember what Paul says, I know him whom I have believed. And this is a reminder to each one of us, whether you are young. You know, those of you listening right now, maybe you're four years old, five years old. Those of us who are old, in our 60s, our 70s, our 80s, and we've been Christians our whole lives. It's the same for each one of us. Remember Jesus Christ. Hold fast to him. So David learned humility. Secondly, David learned to be content. He learned contentment. And we see that in verse 2. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. David says that he had quieted, that he had calmed 
his soul. Now, the implication is that his soul was in turmoil. And what was the cause of the turmoil? Well, we have it right in this verse. He had been experiencing the weaning of God. God had weaned him, and his soul was in turmoil. But as God weaned him, he learned to quiet, and he learned to calm his soul. Now, remember last week, we saw that God will wrestle with us. There are times when he wrestles with us. Just as a father will wrestle with his children, so God wrestles with us. Here this week, we have a different image. God will wean us. Just as a mother weans her infant, so God weans us. Now think of this image of weaning for a moment. Infants need to be nourished from the breast. They require nursing to live. But nursing also provides comfort. It provides uh, peace. It, It provides peace. It pacifies. So a mother will nurse her child not simply to feed the child, but to calm the child, to comfort the child. But there is a time when the child needs to move on to more solid food, needs to move on from the breast milk. There's also a time where the child needs to learn to quiet and comfort herself without the breast. And so a mother will wean her child. Now, it's a bit easier for us today because we have formula and we have bottles and that transition is a bit easier. But in the ancient world, they didn't have that. So they, they, it was quite drastic for a child to be weaned. All of a sudden, the nourishment and the comfort of the breast is taken away. And what mothers would often do in the ancient world is they would take wormwood which, and they, they would apply it to the breast and that would make it bitter tasting. And so the child uh, would experience this bitter taste. What was once a source of nourishment and comfort is now bitter. So they they would deny the child the breast and they would make the breast bitter to the child. Now the response of, of an infant is to kick and scream. You know, to cry out, to protest. What's going on? Why are you denying me this food? Why are you denying me this comfort? But in time, the child learns to quiet itself, to comfort itself. And this is what God does for us. He will wean us so that we learn to quiet our souls. We learn to calm our souls. And the reason that God does this is so that we come to a deeper relationship with him. Now think of the image that David gives us, the weaned child with its mother, resting in its mother's presence. And it knows this comfort because it knows the presence of its mother. It doesn't require the breast anymore. And God does this with us. Yes, early on when we are young, we, we need all of the blessings and the benefits and the graces that God gives us. And we love him because we have all of those good things. But there are times as we mature and grow where God will remove some of those blessings. He will remove some of those good things. He will turn what was once sweet, you know, the sweetness of his good gifts. He'll make them bitter. But the reason he does that is because he's weaning us, because he wants us to learn how to quiet ourselves, to calm ourselves. He wants us to come to a more mature, a deeper relationship with Him and find our rest in Him, in Him alone. To come to a deeper place of love for Him, not just because of His blessings, not because of the good things that He does for us. So there are times where God gives us wormwood. 
There are times where he denies us his comforts so that we grow, so that we mature. So we, we learn to quiet and calm ourselves. Now we're living in such a time right now, many of us are experiencing this weaning of God. God is, has removed certain blessings. He's removed certain good things. And the question is, how are, we, how are we responding to this weaning experience? How are we responding to the trial? Are we kicking and screaming? Are we fussing and protesting? Or are we learning to calm and quiet our souls? And are we coming to a deeper knowledge of God, a deeper relationship with Him? Are we learning to trust and rest in Him? even when he removes some of his blessings and some of his comforts. Now, I want to speak to to the young people, to the teenagers. I know this has been a difficult time for you. Your school has been disrupted. You're separated from your friends. You're not sure how to fill your time. You're fighting boredness. You're, You're having to get along with your siblings. I want you to think about this as a time in which God is weaning you. You know, He's removed some of those things that you took for granted. He removed some of those things that that you thought, yeah, as you went into this new year, you thought, this is just how it's going to go. You know, I'll finish the school year, I'm going to graduate, I'm going to university next year, I have this summer job lined up. Now all of that is gone. You don't know what the summer is going to look like. You don't know whether you'll have work. You don't know what the fall semester will hold for you. But consider this, the Lord is weaning you. And take time to think about how you're responding to the trial that God is taking you through here. And talk to your parents about it. Talk to your parents about what this has looked like and, and how, you, how you see the Lord leading you to a place where you can calm and quiet your soul. And kids, I want to say the same to you too. You know, maybe you're six years old or nine years old. This has been a tough time for you too. You've got schooling at home. You're stuck in the house just about all day. You're having to get along with your brother and sister. You're, you're with your parents all the time. Well, the Lord is working on you too. He's leading you into a place where He's teaching you. And how are you responding? Are you simply complaining and whining when you're bored? Do you see your parents as simply there to entertain you, to give you stuff? Do you see your your siblings as simply there to to entertain you and give you stuff? Or even at your young age, are, are you learning to calm and quiet yourself? And are you are you coming to a relationship with your parents where you recognize, hey, it's just good to be with you, Dad. Not just have you do stuff for me. So the Lord is teaching us at a time like this. And the question is, are we learning? Or are we kicking and screaming? And do we just want to go back to nursing? Do we just want to be nursed again? And we really have to ask ourselves that question. Lord, just give us back what we had. We just want, to go, we want it to go back to how it was. Get us back to how it was. Or are we growing? Are we learning? And that's what it's going to mean for us to be more than conquerors through a time like this. It means by the end of it, we are like a weaned child with its mother. And then finally, hope. And God weans us so that we might have hope, so that we grow in hope, so that we learn to hope in Him. Because as He weans us and as certain comforts are taken away, we come to a deeper knowledge of His presence and His love 
and his providence. And as we grow in faith, we grow in hope. Now, I gave us Lamentations 3 as a passage to guide our prayer in the order of service this morning. And I want to read it again because listen to how Jeremiah articulates his experience, explains his experience. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. Yes, his heart was no longer lifted up. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. And that means every morning. Every morning of this pandemic, His mercies have been new. Great is your faithfulness. And then listen to what he says in verse 24. The Lord is my portion. Yes, God had removed certain blessings, certain comforts for Jeremiah. But look at what Jeremiah gained. More of God. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Are we kicking and screaming this morning? Or are we quieting our souls? Are we calming our souls? Are we resting in the Lord Jesus? And this morning we have to consider where is our hope? What are we hoping for? Is our hope in the Lord? That's what David says. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth forevermore. Is that our hope? Or is our hope in the reopening of society and the economy? Is our hope in an economic recovery? Is our hope in the threat of the virus going away? Is our hope just that we get back to where we were before? So we have to ask ourselves this morning, where is our hope? And the Apostle Paul says, and I say to us, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. He is our hope. And as the Lord weans us, as the Lord teaches us to quiet and calm our souls, as the Lord humbles us, and as we look to Him, and as we grow in our love and our trust and our hope in Him, we find that we cannot help but call on others to hope. And notice in verse 3, David has turned his attention away from what the Lord's been doing in his life and he looks out to Israel and he says, Hope in the Lord, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth forevermore. And this is the sign that we are more than conquerors. This is the sign that we are overcoming. We are calling others to hope in Christ. We're pointing others to Him. And I want to challenge each one of you today. This week, As you are emailing, as you're texting, as you're Zooming, as you're on social media, let this be the cry. Let this be your call. Let this be your message. O Israel, hope in the Lord. Let's let's encourage one another in the Lord. Let's communicate the hope that we have in Christ to one another. Share with one another, here's what the Lord has been saying to me in this time. Here, as I've been, this morning I was reading this passage and I was reminded of this aspect of our hope in Christ. Share that with one another. And I fear that we've been preoccupied with the pandemic and what's going on and we've been, we've been quick to share an article or share a YouTube video and we're not calling out to one, 
to one another, O Israel, hope in the Lord. And so let's do that. And very practically speaking, maybe that means one person a day you reach out to and you say to that one person, O Israel, O brother or sister in Christ, hope in the Lord today. Let's do that. And just imagine you're doing that once a day. And, Lord willing, once a day you're receiving a message from someone else who's encouraging you in the Lord. We need to do that, especially in this time of separation. Let's turn to one another. Let's call out to one another. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth forevermore. Amen. This message has been brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. Please feel free to share this content, but do not charge for it or alter it in any way without the express written consent of the EICC. For more resources, please visit ezrainstitute.ca.